Uh, here's what I would hope that we would walk away today with. Uh, because of the gospel, because of the gospel, we can determine like Christ to live according to God's will, even in suffering. And we do that by clinging to the hope of change, the hope of justice, and the hope of eternal life. First Peter chapter four, let's ver look at the first six verses in this chapter. It says this, uh, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, huh, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The first thing that this passage calls us to do is to arm yourselves with Christ's thinking. Arm yourselves with Christ's thinking. I love this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. We've talked about uh, how Peter has these beautiful, concise short descriptions of the gospel. This is the gospel in one phrase, right? Christ suffered in the flesh for us. Everything that we've seen so far in first Peter and everything that we're going to see today and continuing on in the rest of this series overflows from the gospel. Our very lives overflow from the beauty of the gospel. So, so because of the gospel, do what? Arm yourselves. This is a, a military term. It means to get ready, to prepare, to take up your weapons and resolve yourself for what lies ahead. Uh, throughout this letter, uh, Peter is preparing the church for what's ahead. I mean, they're, they're already suffering in various ways, but he's also preparing them for the suffering that's, that's coming. And it's going to be some pretty intense suffering. And he says here, it's not if it will happen. It's when it happens. Be prepared. Arm yourselves. Uh, my family, we have a golden retriever puppy. Um, she is 50 pounds of fur, happiness, and dumb. It's just, it's, I mean, she's blissfully happy. It's constant. Like the tail just wags nonstop and she's always wanting to be with you no matter where, you at, where you're at. And uh, early on when we first got her, when she just started to get big and do some damage, like she took us off guard because we would come home and you'd walk around the corner there in the living room and she would just hit you. 
like full-blown, full speed. She'd tackle you. She'd be licking you. Tail is whipping you. One time, I'm climbing over this gate that we put up because if she gets into the kitchen, she eats everything. And so I'm climbing over this gate and she comes around the corner and just hits me full blown. I fall down on the ground. She's on top of me. I'm mad. The kids are laughing like it was a big spectacle. So early on, it was like she just surprised us. It took us off guard. We didn't know to expect to get knocked over by a dog. So then we started to get a little bit wiser. And we're like, okay, we're ready for this. Here it comes. So you'd get to the living room. You know that, that that's that corner. So I'd inch past it thinking, okay, if I am calm and I move slowly, don't make any sudden movements, maybe she'll be calm. Nope, not the case. And so you, you like brace yourself. You know it's coming, but you just, so you'd like take your stand and I'm gonna take my hit and then we're gonna deal with this. And then we got a little bit smarter and we said, okay, this is not gonna work. We feel like we're captives in our own home. Right, we've, we've got to tackle this head on. Like we're going to take, we're going to go on the offensive and we're going to try to train her and we're going to try to do this and we're going to try to do that. It hasn't worked, but, <laughs> but at least we're like taking back our home from her. All right. I, so why do I share this? I share this because I think a lot of us treat our suffering this way. Our suffering is embodied in our dog. Um, <laughs> we, we treat our suffering this way, right? Sometimes it just surprises us. It comes out of nowhere. It's out of left field and it just hits us and we weren't expecting that. And sometimes we treat our suffering like, well, we, we know we're gonna suffer. The Bible teaches us that that's, that's reality. And so we're ready for it and we're bracing ourselves. But really, I just feel like we're always on the defensive and we're always just taking our licks and, and we're really just trying to survive and we're not actually thriving in anything, okay? As well, is what Peter is doing in this passage is he's saying, do the next thing. He says, it's coming. There will be suffering. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to gear up for battle. I want you to arm yourselves. Well, with, with what weapon, Peter? What tool am I supposed to pick up in order to arm myself. You're supposed to pick up this tool, Christ's thinking. Look at verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh for us because of the gospel, do this, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. What way of thinking, okay? This is arm yourselves with the thinking of Christ, his attitude, his perspective, his resolve and mindset. He's saying, think like Jesus. Take up and arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. What is the way that Christ thinks? Over in chapter two, we've been in this passage several times. It's so key to the whole letter of Peter. Chapter two, verse 21 explains the way that Christ thinks. It says, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. First way that Christ thinks. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten the next way that he thinks. Right there at the end of verse 23, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges Justly. This is the way that Christ thinks. He, he shunned sin and he entrusted himself obediently to God's will, even to the cross, even through suffering. That 
is the mindset of Jesus. Why? For what reason? Look at verse 24 there in chapter two. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. For what reason? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So that we like Christ would shun sin and live a life that trusts God. So that we would die to our sin and live like him in the midst of suffering. That's how we're supposed to think. So Peter's like, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Here's how he thinks. Arm yourself with a mindset, not with physical weapons. Uh, throughout this series, I've been trying to think a lot of like the person Peter. Like, who is this man? And what did he bring to writing this under the inspiration of the Spirit? And this week, like when I read this passage where it's like, arm yourselves, take up arms. I immediately thought of John 18. Okay, and this is the night when Jesus was betrayed and they're in the garden and the soldiers are coming. And then down in verse 10, it says this, then Simon Peter, having a sword, because why not? <laughs> he drew it and he struck the high priest servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. In the other gospels, we see that Jesus graciously heals Malchus's ear. Thankfully, it was his ear. Thankfully, Peter was a fisherman and not a soldier. And that's all he got. But, so here's Peter taking up arms with a sword. And what's Jesus say in verse 11? It says this. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? Here's Peter, like, I think when he writes this and says, arm yourselves, he's like, listen, listen, arm yourselves, not with physical weapons like I tried one time. We saw how that went. Instead, arm yourselves with Christ's thinking. And what was Christ thinking even there in the garden being taken by the soldiers? His way of thinking was, why wouldn't I walk obediently according to my father's perfect sovereign plan? Put your sword away. Arm yourselves with the way that I think. What's that look like for us? Well, that looks like trusting the Father, like Christ did. That looks like obeying his revealed will that he's given us. That looks like dying to our sin and living for what is right and pleasing to him, even if we suffer for it. And then over time, allowing him as we walk in obedience to him to more and more and more fashion our way of thinking to his mindset. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, Christ's thinking. How do we do that? How do we live for God's will amid suffering? Right? I think this is it. There's, there's three hopes from this passage that are meant to fuel our resolve to turn from sin and live for what is right. Live according to God's will. Here's the first one. We cling to this hope. We cling to the hope of change. The hope of change. We can change. The gospel frees us to change. Look at verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh for us, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
For whoever has suffered in the flesh, whoever has suffered for Christ's sake, for uh, righteousness sake, according to God's will, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, uh, ceased from sin. And our way to uh, translate that could be has finished with sin. Okay, he's, he's not saying that you'll never sin again in this life. Okay, we know that from scripture. Okay, there is no sinless perfection in this life. And if that's some of your plan today, I'm sorry to have burst your bubble. There is not. Is what this passage is saying is that if you're ready to suffer for doing what's right, you're done with sin. Like if you suffer for obeying God's will, you demonstrate that you are leaving sin behind. Like you are dying to it. Look at verse two. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This describes what it looks like to be finished with sin, right? You live for God's will and not for your own passions. Resolving to do what's right, even when suffering for it, it shows that we we no longer want to live for ourselves. We want to live for the Lord. Look at verse three. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles, those that aren't believers, want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. For the time that is past suffices. It's enough. This is Peter's way of saying, enough already. This was your past. I mean, look at that list of sins. Like you've lived enough in that. No matter how long you've lived for human passions, whether that was for a day or for decades, it's sufficient it's enough, it's been long enough, it's time to be done. That was your past, your, your present reality in Christ should be that you have ceased from sin. You no longer wanna pursue human passions, but as a child of God, you want to pursue Christ and walk obediently to his will. Listen, if you are a Christian, the gospel has changed you <laughs> and the gospel will continue to change you. That's hopeful. I mean, I think some of you here, maybe even today, think I'm beyond change. Nate, I'm, I'm beyond change. You, you don't know how I'm living. You don't know how I used to live. You can't even imagine what goes on in my head. You don't know long, how long I've been addicted to blank. You don't know even what I think of you right now. You're right, I don't. But he does. 
and he did from eternity past. And still, we see in chapter 3, verse 18, he did this. Christ suffered once for all your sins. The righteous one for the unrighteous. For what reason? So that he might bring us to God. You're like, I've tried to change. It's hard. And I wonder if it's even possible anymore. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. It is possible. How? The gospel of Jesus Christ, right? To, to, to say that you're beyond change, to say that change is not possible in your life, it's to miss the beauty and the depth and the purpose of the gospel. Like if you say that you're not grasping how truly powerful the gospel really is, right? If Jesus is the son of God, and he is, then he lived the perfect life that you can't live. And if Jesus is the son of God, and he is, he died the death that you couldn't. He paid the penalty for all your sins. And now we are seen by God in the righteousness of Christ. For what purpose? So that we too would die to sin and live for what is right. Listen, you're right in this. You can't do it. You cannot do it on your own, by yourself. But it's a good thing that in chapter two, it tells us that it's by his wounds that we are healed, not our own. There is no sin. There's no sin that is beyond the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Look, look down at verse three there again. I mean, see that description of sin that, that marked the past of these Christians that Peter is writing to. I mean, it's even grotesque in some ways, right? They're enslaved to passions and idolatry, worshiping senseless and reckless sin. That was us. Well, that would have been us. The gospel changes everything. I mean, look at, look at verse uh, four there. It says, with respect to this, with respect to this description of your past sin, the world is surprised when what? When you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They're surprised because you don't join them in the things that marked your past. That means these people have been changed by the gospel. And that means we have been changed and we can be changed by the power of the gospel. So we arm ourselves with Christ's thinking and we, we determine to live according to God's will. And we can do that by clinging to the hope change. Second reason that we can do that is by clinging to the hope of justice. By clinging to the hope of justice. Look down at verse five. Um, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. There will be justice. 
right? They, they malign, they slander, they speak evil against you when you do God's will. When they, when they see your change, your, your transformation, it, 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 it angers the world and it angers Satan. And then it often results in hostility towards us. The world will feel shame and condemnation merely because of the godliness of our living. Like maybe you've already experienced this. Maybe at school or at work or even in your home, you haven't even actively told anyone that they're doing wrong, but by simply refusing to join them in their sin, their assumption is either that you think you're better than them or that you're judging them. And maybe the insults begin. But listen, you can endure. You can continue to live with the mindset of Jesus. Why? Because there's hope of justice. The verse says they will give an account to him. Everyone who is living or dead will stand before the Lord. There's no escaping his judgment. They will answer to God. See, when we stand before the Lord someday, we will stand in his presence and we will do so on the merits of Christ and on his righteousness. They, they will stand on their own merits. And scripture tells us that's not sufficient. We can endure because we don't answer to them. We answer to God. And we can leave justice and vindication in his capable hands. There's hope in the fact that sin will not have the final say. God will one day enact his final judgment and once and for all, he will judge in his righteousness. And it's good to hope for the day when all wrong will be dealt with. That's a hard paradox to live in sometimes, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, we desire ultimate justice for evil and even our persecutors. Yet on the other hand, they don't know what lies ahead of them no idea what they're facing. And they'll stand before the judge of the universe with no case, with zero defense. How do we live in that tension? How do we do that? A few, a few ways that I think. I think the first way that we live in that tension is we we remember who we were before Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I look at that list. That's me apart from Jesus. We need to remember that. And then we, we need to remember the gospel and arm ourselves with Christ's thinking and allow his mindset to cultivate in us a desire to see their salvation, his mindset of perfect justice and, and mercy. 
And what do we do? We pray for them. We put our hope on display, like we talked about over the last couple of weeks, and we explain our hope when we get that opportunity, even as we suffer, maybe even by their hands and their words. And we do all that while trusting that the judge of all the earth will do what is right and just. We arm ourselves with Christ's thinking and we determine to live according to God's will. And we do that by clinging to hope, hope of change, hope of justice, and thirdly, the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. Look down at verse six. It says this, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Like, this is great. He's like, this this is why the gospel was preached to these people, the people who, by the time that Peter wrote this, were dead, that are now dead. The gospel was preached to them so that even though they died physically, okay, that's what judged in the flesh here means, judged in the body. It means you died Okay, because of Adam's sin, we all experience the judgment of death. And so he's like, the gospel was preached to these people so that even though they died physically because they believed the, the gospel that was preached to them, they now live in the spirit the way God does. They are alive with God spiritually. They have eternal life as promised by the gospel. You see, Physical death is the last judgment that Christians face. Like, it's the last effect of sin on our lives in this world. Like, when we die, we will open our eyes to the beauty of our Savior and life eternal with Him. That's hopeful. That's something to cling to. You see, here in Peter's, what's happening is the world is ridiculing these Christians for their hope. Right? All this hope of eternal life and the return of Christ that you guys talk about. And we haven't seen Christ return and y'all died just like we do. So what's going on? And Peter here is saying, those that received the gospel before you, yes, they died physically, but they live eternally with God. And you will too. Keep going, no matter how much they mock you and cling to the hope that I have promised you in the gospel, that you will live eternally in a new body, in a new place, forever in perfect relationship with our glorious Savior. That's hopeful. That's hopeful. The hope of eternal life. Uh, I want to take a second um, and talk about this verse 6. There are some... Uh, who use specifically this verse to defend all kinds of different, possibly unhelpful and even wrong doctrines. Uh, Specifically argued sometimes from this verse is that there will be a second chance to hear and accept the gospel even after death. And I just want to encourage us all here as we look at this, just uh, like read your Bible really carefully. Like look closely, come to it 
prayerfully. Consider it in its immediate context and then consider it across the totality of scripture and then do that in community, right? And that's really what we're encouraging to do. So here's a few reasons why uh, this can't be the case here. So look at verse six, for this is why the gospel was preached. The gospel was preached. It's not currently being preached to. Uh, This is speaking to those that were alive before Peter penned this, but are now dead as he writes this under the inspiration of the scriptures. So the gospel was preached even to those who are are now dead. They're judged in the flesh. They've, they've died. They received the gospel when they were alive, but now they are dead. Okay. Let's, let's also think about this passage here for a second in light of the context of this paragraph and the argument of Peter. So what's Peter doing? What have we seen him doing across the past weeks? Peter is encouraging the church to continue to persevere in our faithfulness to Christ in suffering. And we do that by clinging to hope, okay? So if this verse were some type of offer at a second chance after death, Peter would be saying this. He'd be saying, uh, continue suffering for doing what's right. But if you don't, if you don't know Christ and if you don't live for him and you decide to continue to live for your own human passions, it's all good. There'll they'll be another chance after you die. I mean, there would literally be no point to enduring suffering for what is right. Like, do whatever you want in this life. Eat, drink, be merry. For tomorrow you die and you'll have another opportunity. You'll have another chance to turn to Christ. That would render the whole argument of this paragraph, of that verse, and of all of Peter just pointless. Uh, Besides that fact, one more, the rest of scripture testifies to the fact that it isn't the reality. Okay, one, one passage for you. Hebrews 9, 27 says this, just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Scripture teaches us clearly this, this life is our opportunity to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Second uh, Corinthians six quotes Isaiah and it says, now is the day of salvation. When we are judged in the flesh, when we, when we die, we will stand before the Lord and we'll give account and we'll, we will either Stand on the merits of Christ and we will live with him forever in eternity or we will stand on our own merits and we will be judged by a perfect judge and confined eternally to the judgments of hell. And that is the paradox we live in, right? So we, because of the gospel, we determine, we resolve like Christ to to live to live this life according to his will, even even in suffering, by clinging to the hope of, of change and justice and eternal life. So we arm ourselves with the thinking of Christ and we choose to trust the Father. 
We choose to obey his revealed will and we choose to turn from our sins and live for what is right and pleasing to him no matter how much the world would mock us. Father, I first just want to thank you. I mean, as I... I personally even look at that passage. Uh, and get a clear picture of the trajectory of my life apart from you. It's so humbling. And it causes us to be so grateful. We are so thankful that you have saved us by the shed blood and the resurrection of your son. Lord, would you help us to live in that reality? Would you help us to endure whatever is set before us? We know that suffering will come, especially as we choose to live for you in a world that isn't. You've told us that that is happening. You've told us to anticipate that. You've shown us that that is going to be a reality in our lives if it's not already. And we don't want to be taken off guard by that. Instead, we want to lean into you. We want to arm ourselves with your way of thinking. We want to be like you. Would you make us more like you? Would you fashion us into your image? Would you sanctify us and make us more and more like you so that so that we can live out this hope in a world clinging to the hope of change. The change that has been and the change that will be and clinging to the hope of, of justice that you are the perfect judge and you will judge rightly. And bring evil to an end once and for all and clinging to the hope that we have because of the gospel eternal life with you, Lord. And I just ask, Father, would you increasingly grow in us a heart for the lost? Would you increasingly Help us to desire that more and more and more people would turn to you for salvation and turn away from the way of living that defined them before you and instead lean into the good news about you and have also that hope of eternity. Lord, I'd ask that you'd be with anyone this morning that thinks that they are beyond change. Lord, would you help them right now, even by your spirit, to realize that you, the God of the universe, <laughs> took on flesh and lived the life that we couldn't and died the death that, that we couldn't so that we might be saved and nothing can outsin that promise and that there is forgiveness found in you, Lord. And would they even today cling to that hope and turn and be saved? We love you so much, Jesus. You are good in your name. Amen.